Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank and praise you for redemption, that the Lord Jesus came to that slave marketplace of sin, the dusty old tennis ball called earth, and he redeemed us with his blood. They were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We thank you that you moved us out of that slave marketplace to be yours, to be free to do your bidding, to live righteously, holy, and blamelessly in Christ. Lord, help us to be a body and bride of Christ that's healthy and pure, respondents to your grace, respondents to your redemption. And Lord, as we now look to your word, we pray that you would help me to keep clear what you have made clear. And Lord, I pray you'd stir the man in the pulpit and the people in the pew to wonder, love, praise, and worship, and obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, she has become the most famous icon of freedom and liberty. She is America's national monument called the Statue of Liberty. The statue is a gift from France. The concept was birthed by Édouard de Laboulet and designed by artist Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi. The full title of the work is Statue of Liberty, Liberty Enlightening the World. I believe there are many significant parallels between the magnificent Statue of Liberty and the exquisite gospel by which we are saved. The statue and the gospel are both gifts. The statue and the gospel both celebrate freedom. Once the statue was given to American nation, the Americans had to build the pedestal upon which to display it. And once we receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation, we have the responsibility to live in such a way that the gospel and our right relationship with God are properly presented for the world around us to see. The statue was put up on Bedloe's Island, which is now known as Liberty Island, so that she would always have an audience. The gospel, of course, is worthy of a nonstop worldwide audience. The statue's full title is Statue of Liberty, Liberty Enlightening the World, and the gospel is the only monument to God's liberating grace for sinners. It is also the sole means of spiritual enlightenment getting to a planet full of rebels. The statue was especially engineered to stand upright and strong in the face of New York City's harbor sometimes and its violent winds. A very thin skin of pounded copper has been wrapped over a strong metal skeletal structure. The gospel is well built to stand strong against the shifting oppositional hurricanes of pride and sin and evil and depravity. The statue is engineered with flex to brave the storms of the Northeast. The gospel's essence, uncompromised, but its application is flexible to the lost people of all the earth and ages. The Statue of Liberty was designed and built in France, and the gospel was fashioned and perfected in heaven. The Statue of Liberty was assembled in America, and the gospel is believed on and applied in the lives right here on earth, your life and mine. The statue was conceived by Laboulet and then crafted by Bartholdi. 
The gospel was conceived in the heart of the triune God and then brought to life in the incarnate life of the Son of God. The statue would be incomplete without Lady Liberty's crown. The gospel would be incomplete without Jesus Christ's crown of thorns, which is emblematic of all of his sufferings for you and me on his cross. In 18, excuse me, in 1982, the statue needed to be restored. And in this 21st century, the gospel needs to be restored due to religious perversions, due to the universalism of liberal Christianity. The gospel of grace is a heavenly and an earthly monument to freedom from sin, freedom from self, freedom from Satan, which one day will be fully celebrated in all of eternity by worshiping believers in Jesus Christ who come from every tongue, tribe, language, and people group. The Statue of Liberty is the gateway to seeing and savoring the beauties of America. The gospel is the gateway to seeing and savoring the beauties of God Almighty. Please pray with me. Father, we love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. We love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. Father, please refresh us in gratitude and in obedience as we consider the gospel by opening Romans 1, 16 and 17 in these minutes. May the gospel be the majestic, gorgeous centerpiece on the dining room tables of our redeemed lives and not the dusty, unused china in our dining room hutches. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the Lord Jesus' precious name, amen. The monument of the gospel, Romans 1, 16 to 17, and I read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I wonder why the Apostle Paul would start those two sentences with the phrase, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. In verse 9, previous to these verses, he had asserted that his service to God was linked up to preaching the gospel. In verse 15, the verse that immediately precedes verse 16, Paul had mentioned his eagerness to preach the gospel to those who were in Rome. So in light of these past mentioned facts in the book of Romans chapter 3, why in the world would verse 16 begin with, for I am not ashamed of the gospel? Well, perhaps 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31 throws some light on how some people, maybe you, could possibly be ashamed of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? And where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the, in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord." Yes, Paul begins verse 16 with the phrase, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, although the gospel on the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the gospel is perceived as being foolish by those who are wise in the world's estimation, 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 21. The gospel is a stumbling block to the unbelieving Jews, verses 22 to 23. The gospel is weakness, verse 25. A foolish thing, verse 27. A weak thing, verse 27. A base thing, verse 28. A despised thing, verse 28. And a thing that is not considered to be anything by the elite, verse 28. Please hear me. The tragedy is that some born-again people actually try to take their significance and their worth and their acceptance from those in the world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ completely out of everything. It is a tragedy if you as a believer take your significance, your self-worth, and your purpose out of a worldview that leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Tragedy. It's like trying to get encouragement from a mean and crass stand-up comedian who's on stage. It's like fishing in a septic tank. It seems to me that Paul had to state that he was not in any way ashamed of the gospel, a la Romans 1, 16a, because he knew some Christians were ashamed of the gospel. And we know some of these Christians too, don't we? They're entirely happy to be saved and on their way to heaven, but their salvation is a fire escape from hell. And their lips are buttoned shut so as not to offend, so as not to take risk, so as not to be rejected. Some Christians are ashamed of the gospel. The gospel by which we are saved is evaluated by some to be a foolish 
weak stumbling block. And yes, this gospel with which we're saved is said to be base, that is unsophisticated, and despised, that is offensive, and inconsequential, that is overly elementary. But all those assessments of the gospel are from Satan-blinded eyes and minds. So states 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, listen, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, little g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here's the deal. Calling the true gospel, calling the glorious gospel of light foolish and weak and a stumbling block and unsophisticated and offensive and overly elementary is to reject the only light that will ever be offered to sinners who are groping around in the jet black darkness of their sins. The only light. Commentator R. Tuck wrote, there are only two issues. The gospel must either take us by the hand and lead us up into the sunlight, or it must bid us away into the dark, end of quote. Oh, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, and for some very solid reasons, and we should not be ashamed of the gospel either. I want to show you four reasons that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel in verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1. You back to that passage? Romans 1, 16 and 17. Four reasons Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Four reasons that we should still not be ashamed of the gospel. Ready to go? Here we go. First reason, the gospel is the greatest power. The gospel is the greatest power. I see that in verse uh, 16. Part A, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. That's the greatest power. God's power is the greatest power. There is no power greater than God's power. Not gravity, not Niagara Falls, not nuclear power, not weapons of mass destruction, and not Satan's power. There is no power greater than God's power. The Greek word for power here is dunamis from which we get our English word dynamite. Let me read it that way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dynamite of God. The gospel is this power. That is to say, the very true message of the gospel is God's inherent power to work the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of transformation in the person who will come to Christ, repent of sin, and believe on him alone and be saved. That takes dynamite power. In 1894, that's 121 years ago, there was a state in India called Mizoram. It's in northeast India, exists to this day, and it was a state of headhunters back in 1894. And then one incident happened that these headhunters attacked and killed a Scottish plantation man with his wife, leaving the child's little girl an orphan. The headhunters, as vicious as they were, meant no harm to the little girl, and so they brought her into their tribe, their godless, cannibalistic, headhunting tribe. She was passed off from the tribe, eventually to the queen of Misoram, and she was there in the queen's quarters, given the best of life. 
The word of the little girl's kidnapping eventually got back to Europe, where the missionaries heard of the little girl's plight and of a province in India full of headhunters, and they sent missionaries, Christian missionaries, to Misaram. Fifty-six years after those European, Welsh, Presbyterian, Calvinists, Baptists, took the gospel to Mizoram, 56 years later, 100% of the state of Mizoram was genuinely converted to Christ. The power of the gospel. Literacy caught up in Mizoram to the rest of all the Indian provinces. Crimes went way, way down. Joblessness and homelessness, once overlooked by the headhunters, was lovingly cared for by the people of God who named the name of Christ. Christian music filled the streets, and churches in Misaram were packed. The power of the gospel. The gospel is God's power. There is no greater power than God's power, and the gospel is God's power. But secondly, that's the first reason not to be ashamed. The second reason not to be ashamed of the gospel is this. The gospel is the greatest power working the greatest blessing. The greatest power working the greatest blessing. I see that in the second half of verse 16. See it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is not only God's power, the greatest power, but it's God's power with a purpose. Salvation. Salvation. Salvation from sin is the reason God gave his son, the reason God gives the gospel. He wants sinners to be saved from sin. That is to say that God unleashes his unbounded miracle power so that sinners like all of us can be saved from our sins because a salvation is a miracle. Your salvation was a miracle. Now watch this. This salvation that God's power has been unleashed to effect is a salvation from four aspects of sin. If you're saved, you should know that God has saved you from four aspects of your sin. Ready? Number one, salvation from the penalty of sin. That is to say that we've been justified in Christ. We've been declared innocent. We won't have to pay the penalty for our sins because Jesus took our penalty on the cross. Justification. We've been saved from the penalty of our sins, but there's more. Secondly, it's a salvation from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. We choose to sin. Hopefully we're sorry that we made the choice and we call it sin and accept God's forgiveness. But the salvation God has for us is from the power of sin. That's sanctification. God's setting us apart in the workings of the Holy Spirit for his own possession and use. It's a progressive thing. I trust you're cooperating. Third thing salvation is from is from the pleasure of sin. Sin has a pleasure, but it's short-term. Satan switches the price tags on any sin, so he wants us to believe we can afford the sin. But if we choose to sin, we can't choose the consequences of our sin. Sin comes with a price tag. And Jesus died on the cross and gave us a salvation that we would be free from being driven by the pleasures of sin. And fourth, 
Our salvation is from the presence of sin. One day, when we're with Christ, we'll be free from any surrounding sin, any surrounding sin or any inner sin. It's glorification. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the power of sin. Saved from the pleasure of sin. And one day, saved from the very presence of sin. This wonderful... Epistle to the Romans takes up all three of these huge blessings. In chapter 5, it's on justification, free from the penalty of sin. Chapter 6 and 7 is on sanctification, free from the uh, power of sin. And chapter 8, glorification, free from the presence of sin one day. When our daughter Joanna was seven, she asked me what a gift certificate was to a store. I guess she'd seen that we were given a gift certificate, and at seven years old, she said, what is that? Well, that's harder to explain than you might think, that a seven-year-old can understand. And I thought about that and tried to put it into simple terms what a gift certificate is to Joanna. And eventually, I came up with this idea. I said to Joanna, a gift certificate means that you get as much as the other person paid for. You get as much as the other person paid for. I want to tell you something. Salvation is the most amazing and huge gift certificate that ever was created. Isn't that precisely the gospel, that because Jesus paid for the total solution to sin, we get justification, sanctification, glorification, or put it another way, Jesus paid for the whole salvation package. We get freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power and pleasure, and one day freedom from sin's presence. The gospel is a theological gift certificate. It was no surprise that George Whitfield said, there are many that can preach the gospel better than I can, but there is none that can preach a better gospel. So the case builds that we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. It's the greatest power. It's the greatest power working the greatest blessing. And there's a third reason not to be ashamed about the gospel. It's verse 16, and it's this. The gospel is the greatest power working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people. For the greatest number possible of people. 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You believe, the gospel is for you to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The words to everyone who believes are expansive to me, and they are motivating. They're inviting. These words describe anyone who will believe on Christ, Jews, Gentiles, anyone. No restriction on race, no restriction on age, no restriction on gender, no restriction on ethnicity, no restriction on socioeconomic bracket. Anyone and everyone who believes on Christ for salvation will be saved. And please notice that the activating agent of this belief lifts the biblical Christian gospel head and shoulders above all the other pseudo-false gospels and the false world, major world religions. Let me explain. I mean this, that Romans 1.16 teaches that, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This stands in stark, superior contrast to the pseudo-gospels 
of Buddhism. For them, only a few work their way into nothingness and thereby merit nirvana. Superior to Hinduism, which believes that for a few who can work off their karma by multiple reincarnations, they have salvation. Far superior to Islam, which believes that for the few who serve Allah by destroying the infidels. Far superior to the New Age movement, who believe that for a few who channel into their own divinity within, have a salvation. This gospel stands utterly head and shoulders superior to the other pseudo or false gospels of the Roman Catholic Church, who have kept church tradition and elevated higher than the scriptures, who teach purgatory. It's a gospel higher than the pseudo gospel of secular humanism, which teaches to reach your full evolutionary potential, you do so through education and philanthropic effort, being charitable. It's a far superior gospel to the liberal Christianity who see Jesus Christ merely as a good teacher, who believe that salvation is by them serving mankind and addressing things like ecology, drinking water, and social injustices. You get the point. It's only the biblical Christian gospel which opens forgiveness and heaven to all who will believe on Christ. The biblical grace gospel is the only gospel which makes forgiveness right standing before God and heaven gifts to be received by faith rather than prizes to be earned by religious self-effort. Back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation to everyone who believes. There's something dangerous for us Christians in going back to the Statue of Liberty. Years ago, magician David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty vanish. Well, actually, he didn't do that. He pulled off a massive illusion that he did that. And what made Copperfield's illusion work was distraction. Distraction. And David Copperfield distracted millions of television viewers enough that some believed the illusion that the Statue of Liberty had actually vanished. I'm here to tell you this morning that Satan is a masterful illusionist. He puts so many distractions before us that we could possibly think that the gospel is no more. Don't get distracted. The gospel stands. It is not going anywhere. Now this salvation to everyone who believes God makes belief or faith in Jesus Christ's person and work the issue to receiving the grace gifts of forgiveness and eternal life. Reasons not to be ashamed of the gospel is the greatest power, working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people. And fourthly, Don't be ashamed of the gospel because it is the greatest power working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people in the greatest sphere of result. In the greatest sphere, you could say arena, of result. 
reading both verses, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The greatest sphere or arena of result is being made right with God because of faith in God's Son. In the wisdom of God, it was devised that there would be a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. That's a John Piper quote. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver the sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God, end of quote. And so when verse 17 uses the phrase from faith to faith, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. When that faith to faith phrase is used, the verse is teaching us that from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between, it is faith and not religious works that makes a person right with God. From the beginning of salvation to the end of your salvation and everything in between, it is of faith that you have a right standing with God. Holy Spirit here delights to have had Paul quote the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, to teach righteousness is via faith, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Doesn't matter what age of human history you lived in, what economy of God's redemption, what dispensation, it doesn't matter when you lived. Salvation is granted as a grace gift as you place faith in God. Both in the Old and the New Testaments, that is the case. Grace through faith. And so you cannot accurately contend that there are several ways to be saved in the Bible. You cannot argue that God saved people by law-keeping in the Old Testament and then by Christ in the New Testament. For one thing, nobody kept the law in the Old Testament. It was a mirror to show that your hair was out of place. I don't have that problem. The law was a mirror to show you that your hair was out of place. It wasn't a hairbrush to fix your hair. That took Christ. So what you can accurately assert is that from Genesis to Revelation, God saves sinners by his grace, which is dispensed as those sinners place their faith in God in ways that were shown to them at the time they lived. Abraham was saved by grace through faith in God by expressly leaving Ur of the Chaldeans in obedience, by putting his teenage son on the altar and about to kill him, and God stopped that. Turn over to Romans 4. You'll see this. Romans 4, 1 to 3 quickly. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That's the best question to ask of something you're wondering about. What does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and Abraham believed God, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Oh, it was Abraham's belief in God that caused God to reckon Abraham righteous. Faith to faith. Noah was saved by grace through faith in God as expressed by obeying God and building an ark. They haven't had a rainfall when Noah starts building this ark. God tells them, I'm going to have a global flood. What's a global flood? 
build the ark. Here are the specs, build the ark. Faith in God, the family Noah, eight of them were spared the global flood. Everybody else died. Rahab was saved by grace through faith in God as she expressed her faith by hiding the Jewish spies in her home in Jericho. You get the point that salvation is always by God's grace through faith in God as he requires us to show our faith in God. In this dispensation, that's in Christ. The only way to show saving faith now is to look to Christ on the cross and his empty tomb and say, I am banking on Jesus' person and work to get the grace gift of forgiveness. Have you done that? I'll give you an opportunity to do that a little later. This costs. The gospel is free, but after we receive the free gift that cost the Godhead everything, it costs us to be a Christian. W.D. Moen, writing in the Wittenberg Door, quote, Not only do American Christians want a gospel that is powerful, responsive, durable, and well-built, they want one that also only requires a low initial investment and needs little or no regular maintenance. That is a car. That is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. Americans today want a gospel that is powerful, responsive, durable, and well-built. They want one that also requires a low initial investment and needs little to no regular maintenance. Is that your salvation? We ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. We've seen that the gospel is the monument to God's work of redeeming sinners, and we've seen that as such, we have absolutely no legitimate reason to be ashamed about it. Please make no mistake about it that the gospel is the greatest power, God's power, working the greatest salvation, the salvation from sin. For the greatest possible number of people, everyone who believes, in the greatest sphere of result, being made right with God by having faith in his son, Jesus. Going back to 1, 16 and 17, we're almost finished. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We started, as you recall, by considering the Statue of Liberty, and we made some parallels between the statue and the gospel. Patrick Henry said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this reason, people have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here. End of quote. You may recall that Patrick Henry had the famous quote, give me liberty or give me death. But Patrick Henry also, as a committed Christian, had that particular insight into the founding of his nation of America. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here, end of quote. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. 
It's not just American Christians who need to keep the gospel the main thing. It's Bahamian Christians who need to keep the gospel the main thing. Because the gospel is the theme of the book of Romans. The gospel is the theme of the New Testament. The gospel is the only message out of hell. The gospel is the message into the saving grace of God. The message of heaven's inhabitants. The gospel is the message of God's own heart. The gospel is the truth washed in precious blood. The gospel is the gift that celebrates freedom and forgiveness. The gospel is the good news to be lived out after its reception. The gospel is worthy to have the world as its audience. The gospel is the grandest gift certificate ever issued. The gospel is sin, debt, retirement, and atonement. The gospel is the liberating truth to quell all of our rebellion before God. The gospel withstands the gale force winds of Satan. The gospel accommodates to situations without ever watering down itself. The gospel is God's wrath and mercy kissing on the cross. The gospel is heaven made and earth applied. The gospel is the gift of the Godhead delivered by God the Son. The gospel necessarily crowned with thorns and suffering and crucifixion. The gospel restored when slandered and polluted. The gospel is the heavenly and earthly monument to freedom from sin, self, and Satan. The gospel is the sinner's only hope. The gospel is the glory of God. The gospel is the apex of all of human history. The gospel is the command of all the commands to be believed and to be obeyed. The gospel is the doorway into the fulfillment of restored relationship with God. John Piper said, the ultimate good of the gospel is seeing and savoring the beauty and value of God. God's wrath and our sin obstruct that vision and that pleasure. You can't see and savor God as supremely satisfying while you are full of rebellion against him and he is full of wrath against you. The removal of this wrath and this rebellion is what the gospel is for. The ultimate aim of the gospel is the display of God's glory and the removal of every obstacle to our seeing it and savoring it as our highest treasure. Behold your God is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. If we do not see him and savor him as our greatest fortune, we have not obeyed or believed the gospel. End of quote. The gospel. The gospel is the wonderful and merciful Savior Jesus saying, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift up my lamp beside the golden door. Will you stand with me just before we sing and pray with me? Lovely Lord, only you are the one who gives the grace which we all need as ones who have in actuality fallen short of you. At the close of this sermon, we ask you for two graces, the grace to be verbal and the grace to be saved. We who are saved ask for the grace to be more verbal and open about sharing the way of salvation. And those hearing this prayer that are still lost in their sin in the church here today, I ask for grace for these to believe in the Savior and to be born again. 
to become new creations in Christ. These are our needs, Lord. Please overtake so as to undertake because so much is at stake. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.